Well, uh, we got to sneak away for a week of sun. Um, it was un- we were told it was unusually warm where we were. And when we came back, it, we dodged the unusually cold, but it was beginning to look a lot like Christmas. The snow is piling up. Bing Crosby is absolutely right. It's starting to look like Christmas. And we are about halfway into this Advent season. It's the third Sunday of Advent, so we're two weeks out. We've got a couple of weeks to go yet. And while I know that Advent is a season of preparation, that we are looking forward with anticipation to remember Jesus' first coming and again look forward to his second coming, it's really easy for a lot of other emotions beyond hope and joy and peace to really start crowding into our, our lives and our hearts, isn't it? Uh, see if you can identify with some of this. Again, maybe it's just me, but it's, it's, a, it's a busy season, isn't it? There seems to be lots to do. There's, there's Christmas parties, there's Christmas preparations, there's travel arrangements, there's, there's school Christmas parties. There's all, all the things going on. And it just can be really busy. It can just weigh down and, and add stress instead of hope. Then beyond just that, there can be the added anxiety and stress of, yes, it's maybe the most wonderful time of the year, but it's not always the most wonderful time of the year. I think of, of, of friends that have, that have lost loved ones that will be the first Christmas without somebody, right? That's hard. Even if it's not the first one, it's still hard. Sometimes when, time, when, it's, when it's a season where we're used to getting together as family or, or, or getting together with others, the reality that we have strained relationships just adds to the anxiety as well, doesn't it? There can be anxiety and stress over our finances at this time of year. Year-end is coming and Christmas is coming and, and all the things. There can be stress and anxiety about the cold. Will the boiler, boiler hang in for another week? There can be stress and anxiety about getting a cold, which is running rampant through our schools and through all the things right now, right? So we can have health concerns. There's year-end concerns. all sorts of stresses that can really like add to the, the weight of the season. And if you're into to gift giving, which is a beautiful thing, around this time of year, maybe it actually adds stress. What do I get for this person? What do they need? They've got everything. If you've got kids, maybe the grandparents are calling you saying, what do your kids need? That's a little bit stressful too because, you know, we want to say, nothing, please. Just come and show them that you love them. And so this, this wrestling around the question of what, what do you need, that's, that's really the question I want us to focus on this morning. What do you need? And I've thought about that question a fair bit lately so for some uh, reasons that are better than others. But I think that can really apply to every one of us, the question can, and every part of our life. Here's some things that, that maybe came to, to mind when I thought about what I might need or maybe what you might need as well. First on the list, for some reason, is more sleep. Just a nap might be great. Maybe I'll put that in the calendar for this afternoon. Uh, new gear for our growing kids. They just don't stop growing, and their stuff doesn't fit. You know, they can't ski on snow blades any longer, right? Uh, maybe, maybe we're hoping that, that some of our Facebook marketplace listings will finally sell and we can get some stuff out of our house. Maybe what, what we need is, is some clarity on a project for work or around the house or for the church or whatever else. Maybe I, I joke with Brian, I'll joke with, uh, with Rick 
that uh, what we really need this season is a camera lens. Maybe tea. Or coffee. Coffee, that's what I really need. Or something for the house, something for a hobby. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that I need some repair and restoration in. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to end. Or maybe I'm hoping that what I really need this season is a relationship that might need to start. We can open up the newspaper or wherever we gather our news and maybe what we think we need is really a change in policy or politics. Or maybe we think we need more of the same. Now there's lots of things that we might have come to mind when we think about what do I need. And many of them are probably really good things. I think I think this list is all good things. But as I reflected on my list and reflected on the text we're going to get to this week, I came to realize that my answer, and I would suggest probably yours too, is wrong. And maybe I should soften that just a little bit after the shock of telling you you're wrong. Maybe my answer is just insufficient or, or, or not good enough or not what I really need. Let me read our passage this morning, and I suggest, I suspect you'll see what I mean. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 1 or scroll to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to kind of pick up where, where I left off a couple weeks ago. Uh, huge thanks to Steve for stepping in last week for me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Here's how Matthew's gospel records the coming of Jesus. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to name her son Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him, and he married her. Now if you've uh, ever been to a Christmas service or gathering, or maybe even received a Christmas card, you've probably heard this passage before. It's quite uh, familiar, uh, and sometimes there's a danger in familiarity, but it is such a, a key part of the Christmas story. And there's a lot going on in these seven short verses, and we won't be able to cover it all. But what I want us to kind of hone in on and focus on is, is really the middle of the passage, verse 21. And it'll be on the screens for us. Let me read it one more time. And she, that's Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in, in the time and, and area and place that this story takes place, uh, this, this scene takes place. Remember, we're reading a gospel. It's a type of literature. It's, it's, it's narrative. This is not some fanciful, fanciful mythology that we're reading. This is something that happened in a certain time, in a certain place, to a certain couple who had a certain baby. Okay? So in this place and in this time, 
there were lots of kids running around named Jesus. It was quite a popular name. For a long time, the, the Jewish people had been waiting for God to fulfill his promises. They've been longing for these things to come to fruition. And so many families would name their sons Jesus, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. And the name Joshua means, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord saves. The Lord brings saving work. And even more, so this has been happening for a long time. We, we hear the name Joshua and maybe think back to the book of Joshua, who was one who led God's people into the promised land, right? He brought about that salvation, that centuries and centuries earlier. But now at this time, even more, the Roman Empire was, was well established and the Jewish people were kept under their thumb. And so the people longed uh, even more for freedom from oppression of the emperor. And in those days, names were far more significant than they are in our day and in our place. And so people continued to name their sons Joshua and name their sons Jesus to symbolize their nation's hope that their God, that Yahweh, would send a Savior, would rescue them from Rome. Yet much like us, they answered that question wrong. They actually didn't know what they really needed. When the angel told Joseph to name Mary's son Jesus, what was being said was the time for salvation has come, but it's not the salvation you're thinking of. It's not what you're hoping for. The real problem you're facing right now is not Rome, he was saying, the angel was saying. And saying to us, the, our, our real problem right now is not the liberals or the NDP or the UCP or Democrats or Republican. Forget about them. They're a problem, sure, but it's not the real problem. The real problem is so much bigger. What you really need is rescue from sin. Sin that's stuck inside of you and keeps us from God. See, Jesus didn't come to offer a human solution to a temporary problem. He came to bring a permanent solution to an eternal problem. So let's talk about sin. Merry Christmas. Now sin is, is more than just something we do. It's certainly not less, but it's definitely more. It is a part of, of who we are. It, it's, it's that thing inside of us that wants more and more glory and recognition for, for just ourselves. Sometimes the Bible will call this the flesh. Sometimes the Bible calls it our, our sin nature, among other things. It's that thing inside of us that drives us to just look out for number one or to croon with Frank Sinatra that we're going to do things my way. It's that festering darkness that lingers in our hearts and refuses to give glory and honor and worship to anyone else except ourselves. It's the, the hardness that's in our heart, that Paul says in Romans 1, refuses to give glory to God, refuses to show him gratitude, and refuses to acknowledge God, which leads us to one of Paul's great lists, greed and hate, envy and anger, murder and arguing and lying and gossip and backstabbing and pride and arrogance and disobedience and individualism and boasting and, and, and it has infected every single one of us. 
and our own nature tends to minimize sin. We do this in a bunch of ways. We say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I, I, I didn't sin, I just, I just messed up. I, I didn't sin, I, I, it was a party, so I had one extra drink. I, I didn't sin. I, I just ate too much. I just wanted too much. I just gathered too much. It's, 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 it's okay. There's two ways that we tend to devalue sin and minimize it. And the first is thinking that, that sin is behavior and behavior alone. But as we've discussed, sin first and foremost is a matter of the heart. And it always starts there. When Jesus gave his most famous, longest recording sermon in Matthew 5 to 7, just a few chapters from where we are, he goes after the heart again and again and again and again because that's where it starts. And once sin starts in our hearts, it works itself out into our thoughts and desires and motives and choices, and that's when it reveals itself in our behaviors. That's why we can't just quit sinning by willing ourselves to stop doing an action because if we don't deal with the heart issue if we don't deal with the desires with the loves that are in our hearts and we don't replace them then it's still there and it will still work itself out our bodies just go where our hearts lead them and this is why we need Jesus, why we need his rescuing grace, because we can run from certain situations. I can stay out of a bar. I can stay away from a certain group of people. I can keep myself from certain places which I know will cause behaviors. We can't run from our own hearts. We always take them with us. The second way that we devalue sin is by thinking that we're just kind of breaking some sort of abstract and arbitrary set of rules that was handed down way too long ago. But since we now live in 2022, they don't really matter and we'll do our own thing. But sin is so much more than just breaking a rule too. Sin is the breaking of a relationship. And that results in us breaking God's rules. If you want to Flip back to Exodus chapter 20, where we read the Ten Commandments, kind of God's first, here's how we want you to live. You may remember that the very first of the Ten Commandments is to worship God above everything else. No other gods before me. That's the way we are created to live, with God at the center of our lives and center of our hearts. And when God is at the center, I want to live in a way that pleases him. My behaviors will follow. But when God isn't in his rightful place, guess who jumps into the center? Me. And I'm a terrible God. When I put myself in the place of God, I write my own laws. I, I give myself to whatever looks good to me, whatever brings me pleasure in the moment, whatever feels right at that time. And so every sin is against God. There's a text uh, in the Psalms or in the Old Testament that I, I've wrestled with, maybe you have too, where David, after being confronted of his horrendous sin with Bathsheba and, and murdering her husband, Nathan confronts him, and what does he say? God, I have sinned against you and you alone. I'm like, wait a minute. He killed a guy and got his wife pregnant. What about them? And it's not like what he did, the behavior wasn't significant, and there were consequences. 
and there needed restoration and all those things, but ultimately it came from a broken relationship with his God. His heart was broken. So every sin is an assault on God's rightful place in our lives. Every sin is a betrayal of God and stealing glory from him. Every sin actually denies his existence and authority because if God exists and is who he says he is and has the authority that comes with that, I should follow him. Every sin replaces God with something else in our lives. Every sin tries to steal his power and his glory for me. And every sin goes after his throne. The biggest problem with devaluing our sin is that we also devalue the grace that Jesus brought when he went to the cross. The angel came to tell Joseph, listen, the time has come. God's rescue plan is underway. And the baby growing in Mary's womb is the answer to the question, what do you really need? A couple decades later, the Apostle Paul would describe what Jesus came to do this way. If you want to flip forward to Colossians chapter 1. If you haven't read Colossians chapter 1 recently, I invite you to do that this week. But in verse 13, he says this, that we give thanks to the Father because he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. All that muck and mire that's in our heart that leads to sin, God has rescued us from that and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son he loves. And in him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Back to Matthew chapter 1. The next couple of verses describe how Jesus is able to actually do this. Verse 21, it says, So all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, or which means God is with us. How can Jesus come to be salvation, to rescue us from our sins? Because he is God in the flesh. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me how when we read these verses that Matthew just sort of glosses over the whole virgin birth announcement as if, oh yeah, this happened, but let's get on to something more important. And doesn't even like slow down to think of, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, like this is not something that happens all the time. It's not like there were, there were common virgin births happening all the time. So Matthew's just like, this is another one, but this one's meaningful. But he just glosses over it as though it was accepted. For most of the last 20, uh, 2,000 years, it was more or less an accepted fact that there's a supernatural realm and the supernatural stepped into our natural world in this way. Is it hard to wrap our heads around? Absolutely. Was it hard for Mary? I'm sure it was. Was it hard for Joseph when his young bride said, I'm pregnant, but by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, I mean, he may have been a simple carpenter, but I'm pretty sure he knows how these things work. He's like, I don't know what to do about this, right? Was it hard for them as they walked through the next nine months together and into the early stages and said, no, no, this, she wasn't pregnant by me. They are pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? Like it, this was something. And yet Matthew just kind of glosses over it. It's hard to wrap our heads around, but if a supernatural God wants to enter the world he created, wouldn't he use supernatural means? He would say yes. 
And so it's only really been kind of since the Enlightenment that we've called this into question, which, again, makes sense. If you want to build your entire worldview on a, on a view that says only what we can see or touch and what is natural makes sense, if you want to squish out anything else, then, of course, God coming will not make sense. But Matthew, as he writes, here and through his whole gospel, he understands that there is something both natural about Jesus, but also supernatural. And he is both man and God. Which means that the astounding promise that he quotes from Isaiah in the Old Testament has come true. God has taken on human nature and is in love with his people. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases um, kind of the, the coming of the Word in John chapter 1. He says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The supernatural God, the creator of the universe, put on flesh and blood and, and didn't just hide away in some temple at the top of a mountain and force us to come find him. No, he, he moved into the slums with a poor couple in a backwater town right in the midst of the mess. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And so as the Gospel of Matthew unfolds for us over the next 28 chapters, we'll see that it, it's only this God-man, Jesus, who can save people from their sins. And so one writer reminds us that part of the purpose of the virgin birth of Jesus is to show us that salvation does not come from man, but comes from God. It is wholly the work, only the work of a supernatural God. It is not the work of any human. There is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves from our sins, which is evident in the way Jesus entered the world. This baby born in Bethlehem was and is the center of all history. And so this, this, this book, this library, our Bibles, is one big story of redemption. It's the story of God pursuing humanity to bring them back into relationship with himself. And it tells us just how far God was willing to go to rescue us from our sin, to send his son to die for us. He controlled every event in human history and harnessed the forces of even nature so that at just the right time, Jesus would come, would live, would suffer, and die, and rise again to provide salvation for us all. There's no bigger price that could have been paid for us. So when we consider that price, it should remind us just how valuable, how precious we are to God. And since Jesus paid such a price for us, we can rest assured that he will continue to use his power and his grace to protect and mature and provide for and to keep us until we are with him in a place where the dangers of sin and death no longer exist. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, if he freely gave us Jesus, doesn't it make sense that he will also give us everything that we need? And so our question of the day is, what do you need? What do you really need? And the answer is Jesus. 
The answer is Jesus, because if he is your life, if Jesus is your leader and rescuer, you have been given real life, abundant life, full life, eternal life. We no longer need to search for meaning and purpose because that's found in Jesus. We no longer need to search for identity. We don't have to look to to something to give us some sort of inner sense of of well-being and fulfillment. We don't have to worry that, that our life and our work is meaningless and we'll be forgotten about when we go. We don't have to wonder if, if we have everything we need to face what we need to face today. We don't have to worry about our futures. We don't have to be worried about being left to the, to the limited abilities that we have of our own resources. And we will never, ever, ever be left alone. There's always someone who is with us and who offers us the help that we need. Hebrews chapter, I think chapter 4 says, we have this great high priest who has come and experienced everything we have experienced, who has been tempted in every way that we've been tempted, who knows all the mess that we're in, that we've gone through, that we live in, all the stuff. And he's with us. And he carries us through it. We don't have to worry about whether or not our wrongs will be forgiven. We don't have to hope that our good deeds outweigh our bad when the time to face the judge comes. We don't have to worry about whether our weaknesses will be faced with patience, with grace. Hallelujah. We don't have to worry because we have a Savior that has invaded our life with his grace and has made us, a, made us the place where he dwells. The answer is Jesus. That means we're free from the endless searching for life that consumes so many people around us. There are so many that are looking for meaning and fulfillment, ultimate meaning and fulfillment, in places where it cannot be found. They hope that maybe if I just get married, I'll be happy. They hope that maybe if I I just get in a, a different relationship, a new relationship, maybe multiple relationships, then I'll feel valued and loved. They, they chase after and want to embrace whatever identity feels right right now. They, they pour li- their lives into their work, searching for meaning, searching for purpose and affirmation because of what they can produce. They look to people and possessions to bring peace. So many around us are wrestling with these things right now. Probably us too a little bit, right? But the problem with every one of these cases, relationships, uh, identity, uh, marriage, work, people, possessions, the problem with all these things is they are created things and they cannot bear the weight of something that goes beyond creation. These temporal things cannot bear the weight of an eternal need or eternal longing. Only Jesus can do that. When we live for him, we will have all that we need because he gave up everything for us. And so when the world tells you, when our pop musicians sing to you, you're amazing just the way you are. When the world tells us to just embrace every feeling, embrace every longing, if it feels good, do it. That's just how you were made. Our perfect heavenly father looks down and says, oh, my dear, sweet child. Are you fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God? Yes, absolutely. But there's so much more for you than anything the world can offer. 
just come to me and I'll, I'll show you. Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 11, again, I'm quoting from the message paraphrase. This is the people, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out and burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and, and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. She will give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This Advent season, when someone asks you, what do you need? Let me invite you to answer, Jesus. And then let me invite you to, to work hard, to carve out time to wait on Jesus this Advent season of waiting to read the scriptures, especially the New Testament that talks so much about him. Colossians 1 is an amazing chapter. The Gospels talk about his life and how he lived. And he invites you to, to find a quiet space and just be still and be quiet. And I know that that's really hard. I've struggled with this a lot the last few weeks of of, of creating a space and I have a space to go and I sit and, and put my feet up and I have a cup of coffee and I have the word in front of me and it's like, Jesus, I just want to spend some time with you. Oh, but this. Can't forget this. Oh, I should check on this. And my mind is just busy. So strive to find that quiet space. Ask him to quiet your mind. And then ask Jesus to come meet with you. Be there and just be in his presence, the presence of the king. Ask him questions. Jesus, anything you want to say to me? Anything you want to remind me of? Jesus, what do we do today? How can we point people to you? And rest in that. Rest in your identity as one that's been adopted into his family. Rest in his powerful grace and in his constant presence and his faithful forgiveness. Let me pray and then we're going to take communion together. God, thank you for your word. That doesn't seem like enough to say, but thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the Bible that we can read and that we can hear from you through. Thank you that, that you continue to speak to us through your word even through passages that are familiar that we can go back to them again and again and in our different seasons and times and, and places you can speak to us through your word again and again Jesus thank you for coming thank you for being the one who brings salvation thank you for being perfectly obedient to your father God to showing us how to rightly relate with God and with others and with creation. And Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross to take the consequences and the punishment for my sin. 
for our sin. I pray that this morning, maybe we would pray with the psalmist, search my heart, O God. Stir around, shuffle things around, see if there's any fleshly ways in there. And renew a right spirit in you. One where, God, you're at the center. I pray that you would draw our hearts to you, our loves for you, to the center of our beings. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.